go. Am I? You didn't answer me. Am I oh. starting? Are you starting? I'm just kidding. I don't care. Scissors, rock, rock paper. Scissors, shoot! Oh. Wow. Rock, scissors, paper, scissors, shoot! Oh. You win. You I win. I get a start. Yeah. Thanks for tuning back in to Marketing Trailblazers, where we're having fireside chats with some of the world's best mountain-conquering marketers. It's episode four, Jess. I can't believe we've made it this far. I think if our audience has has come along with us this far, I think we should give them some sort of special gift. What do you think? Like? Uh, I was thinking maybe like a decoder ring. Like in a Christmas story? Yes, exactly. And then, yeah. I mean, that was an advertisement, so that ties in. Exactly, yes, yes. And so at yeah. the end of every episode, we can have like the, the, the decoder the sequence. Code. Yes. <laughs> and it's like, more what, drink more Ovaltine? Yep. 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 Is Ovaltine still a thing? It sure is. Really? Oh, yeah. Isn't it pretty much like Nesquik or... or... Um, they say it has a lot of vitamins and minerals in it. I've never fact-checked that, but it's supposed to be like the healthier version, but uh, either I, way, it's chocolate. So. Uh, right? <laughs> I remember when my kids were younger and I was trying to make them eat healthy, um, there was this brand of cookies called Who Knew? And the idea was like, who knew it was good for you? And, and it, it purported to have like so much dietary fiber in it and like more calcium than a glass of milk than, you know, all these antioxidants in it. Um, but then like I went to the store and I couldn't find them anymore. I like looked everywhere because they were good. They were like yummy chocolate chip cookies. Um, come to find out they were like total lies and they got sued and shut down. Oh, so, well, yeah. So hopefully that's, maybe that's so, I've never heard of them. <laughs> probably. I think they were around for just like a brief, maybe like a year. Um, but maybe that's, I don't know if that happened to Ovaltine or not. Maybe. I hope we don't get sued by Ovaltine. I mean, yeah, that'd be pretty dope if that didn't happen. Can we, can we go back and edit this and like edit out Ovaltine and replace it with something else? Just beep it. Just beep it. <laughs> beep teen. Drink more. <laughs> Drink more. Yep. 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 Well, all right. <laughs> All of that aside, um, our guest this episode is uh, one of the leading experts in email marketing, Kath Pay. Um, Kath is, uh, she's been doing email marketing really since the beginning of, nearly the beginning of email. Um, and she's had a ton of experience working with large, uh, large corporations all across the world, um, but also with, with small businesses. Um, and the thing I love about uh, what she talks about in, in, in her whole approach is that you really have to um, consider all the elements of your, of your email marketing when you're really getting into it. And she's got a book out, Holistic Email Marketing. It's fantastic. We went through this book with our, um, with our team, anybody that, on our team that touches the email side of things. We went through it, and there are a lot of facets. And we, we sometimes think that email is super simple, and and you know you should just kind of do it. Um, but there's a lot of things that can make it very complicated and can can affect the effectiveness of it. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of good stuff, and I like that she doesn't limit herself by size of company or location or anything. She's all over and doing cool things and she talks about being one of you know uh being a woman in the industry which is you know mostly ran by dudes so that's really cool so boys and girls no (laughs) (laughs) so 
pour yourself a glass of because we're about to get this fire blazing with Kath Pay. We're excited to have Kath Pay on the podcast with us today. Kath has worked with companies of all sizes in 20 different countries. Um, her current uh, business, her consulting business, has offices in London and Antigua. Um, and uh, you've worked with Kate Spade, Pandora, Facebook, like all the all the things. Um, yeah, so thank, thank you for coming on. And, and uh, we're excited to jump in and talk about um, email marketing, uh, your book, uh, Holistic Email Marketing. Um, is is fantastic. We've actually went through it in our office here um, and learned a lot from it. Um, but tell us a little bit about kind of how you how you got to to where you are and and um, your history with email marketing. Okay, sure. Um, okay, so I've got a long history with email marketing. I actually started. I was originally a um, I had a, a web development business, um, and that was back in two thousand and. No, it was sorry, 1996. Oh my goodness, losing losing time here. Um, that was that was a lot, that was like at the beginning of the internet. It was at the beginning, exactly. And then what happened was uh, one of my um, uh, one of my programmers and I we sort of we we had a client who had a need, and we went, oh, let's see if we can create something for her. So we created the nucleus of an email marketing um, provider. And we offered that to our client. She absolutely, she was our first client. She stayed with us for so, so many years. And then we um, thought, wow, this is getting kind of busy because we sold to all of our other clients. And then before you know it, it had taken off and, and, and sort of overtook my web design business. So um, that was in 1998. So it's, and then over in 2004, moved over to the UK from Australia, because that's where it originated from. And um, then I think in 2009, I became a consultant, email marketing consultant, because that's what I really, really love to do. I love to help marketers. I love to help consumers to get the right emails. And I love to help brands get the results that they want. So it was just that, that's where my heart was. That's that's an amazing track record, and um, just the fact that you've been in it for um, you've seen all of the developments, all of the, the evolution of email marketing. It, it's impressive. Um, I think some people might be thinking, okay, email marketing that is kind of just a old worn out tactic. Who who really uses it anymore? What's your what's your best kind of give give us a, your best. Um, pitch for why email marketing is still a very viable, uh, effective tool. Oh my goodness. Okay. There's so many, I can, I can talk for an hour on this one. In fact, I'm just updating a best practice guide for a particular brand, which I do every, every two years. And this year it's so enormous because there's so many new, um, additions to it, you know? So, um, there are so many things that email is just brilliant at. One, it's the backbone of the digital channels because it's that push channel. It's the original push channel. There's a couple of others. There's the, the web push, you know, the, the uh, app, app push as well. And then there's mobile, um, but, or SMS. But um, email still has the consumer's heart. They love it. 
and every year you know um, you can see surveys come out and new ones just been done by the DMA UK it's a consumer uh, tracker study and um, you get some great insights from these studies and they all are saying you know emails our favorite channel to be using to be getting the messages that we want the offers that we want um, to get the, the service messages you know there's confirmation messages and everything so email is is a firm favorite and it's not going anywhere it's it's really embedded into the consumer's life now so um and, and one of the wonderful things about it well there's a couple of wonderful things right um it's got a, a unique id has always been the way and now with the, us entering into a cookie-less world it's going to be even more powerful because of that more necessary because of that it's also the only channel as such that isn't actually owned right so Google doesn't own it, Facebook doesn't own it, Instagram doesn't own it, no one owns it. And this therefore makes it very, very valuable because it means that the data that you collect is yours, right? Even if you're collecting it through an ESP, it's still yours. So, uh, and when, and these days, we, we all know how valuable data is. So, um, I mean, they're just a few little highlights. Like I said, I could keep talking and talking and talking, but, but yeah, e email, it works. It delivers, look, I can't even stop. It delivers the highest return on investment um, year after year as well. And that is stated by, um, it's supported by the AMA in the US, DMA in the UK, plus also then the actual marketers themselves in various surveys. So it's it's a great channel. And, and that's why I'm still here because I absolutely love it. It is ever changing. And, um, I, you know, I think it's got so many strengths. So, yeah. You mentioned this in the book and we've experienced it with clients, but email marketing can be, you can get some of the highest return for the littlest effort uh, with email. Um, and how do you, how do you make the case, if you're a marketing director, how do you make the case to say, hey, we need to do even more with email? Um, even when it, when it sometimes kind of gets that redheaded stepchild treatment. Uh, from the power. Yeah, it, it's it's absolutely true. Um, it's almost like email is its own worst enemy, right? Because the fact of the matter is, you can get good results with doing very very average job at email marketing, right? Um, just because of the, the the innate nature of it. And when you and you do, I agree, you have to make a business case for getting more because often you are delivering such a high return on investment. The C-suite are going, but we can't get any better than this. It's already beating the other channels by a mile. Truly, can we get more? No, no, no. So we'll just keep the same budget, you know, that we've already got because we're, we're happy with the results. But we as email marketers know that you can do a better job and you can get better results. And it's almost that implausibility from the, you know, from the, from the C-suite. That they're sort of going, no, that can't be true. That really can't be true, just because the return on investment is so high. So it's, um, but you know, as email progresses and develops, and we we have some amazing tech out there, and it's just continually being developed. The return on investment is going to end up dropping down a bit because of the expense of that tech, but it will still be worth it. Um, but that's when your strategy comes into play. You know, so. Um, you really need to be just honing in and, and, and making sure that you can deliver the goods and, and keep that return on investment very high. But 
Yeah, it's it's really just a case of um, pitching it and really letting them understand. And how I do it with my clients, I say, okay, let's just do a little test. Let's just let's just see, you know. And and often that then you know they they are quite incredulous and they go, oh my goodness, I had no idea. So and and that's also why email so exciting. So for for someone that. Maybe they have a list of emails from their customers through a you know a e-commerce or a, a website sign up, but it's not huge. You know they might have a thousand or two thousand or something like that. How what do you suggest are some of the best ways they really start building up that email database? Um, okay, so list that acquisition. Definitely get permission. Don't go scraping. Don't do anything like this in the U.S., which I know where this podcast is is based. It's yes, it's it's the wild, wild west yeah, over here in terms of the wild, wild west. data and privacy. Everything goes right. Um, well, yeah. well, now you've got the California Privacy Act and everything, so it's it's, it's kind of picking up momentum. Um, but the Can Spam Act still says that opt out. It's it's opt out based rather than opt in based. So l- legally, you know, in most states in the U.S., you're okay to do that. The problem is, though, is that you're not going to get the results that you want. You won't get that high return on investment. And, and one of the reasons why we do get such high return on investment is because it's a permission-based, generally speaking, a permission-based channel. So permission reigns, and it therefore is up to you to understand, you know, are you a, a business, as in a B2B, or are you B2C? What, what, what is the nature? And then go and look into other channels that you can be using do some great, um, you know, uh, lead gen um, uh, type of activity in order to be driving that traffic and driving those conversions. And you can be using social channels for that. Um, if you're B2B, LinkedIn is also great for that. Um, and then, of course, you can be doing things like podcasts and you can be doing webinars and all the rest of it. So um, just any of those, because what happens then is you will bring high-quality permission-based ones. Um, There are other ways that you can do it. You can be doing uh, competitions, and competitions can work really well, and there's some great providers out there who do really, really savvy and very, very advanced uh, competitions. The thing with competitions, you just have to make sure that the actual prize or, you know, that they're going to win is relevant to your personas, your audience, whatever the story is. You don't want to be, say, if you're a B2B one, you don't want to be offering a um, an iPhone because you're going to get someone's grandma signing up for it going, I don't want to buy myself an iPhone. I'll do it. And she's never going to buy your products, right? So it has to be relevant to, to your services, your products. And then they can work really well. But again, we work with a few clients that do this. And we've got a very, very tight sort of, schedule that we put them on it's a little nurturing program and if after a certain period they don't do anything then you know we still go okay well listen you know that that was like the cost of of that of that competition and we're going to discard them because those inactivities um they're more likely to end up hitting um you know spam complaints because they're kind of like well what why am i getting this they forgot about the competition because they didn't win um, and so, and then also you just get more inactive, um, you know, data on, on your database, which is just messing it up. 
So things like that. But, you know, everything has a great strategy and just start putting it together and then just try and work out what works best for you and your brand. A lot of these things don't have to cost a lot. It's just time and your expertise. Yeah, I feel like with email marketing, it's kind of a big puzzle for, you know, I think that's a good analogy for it because you have all of these elements that no matter the size of the business, what kind of business, you have to factor in and include, right? With design and code, deliverability, strategy, you can get into the data and privacy, all of that kind of stuff. But everybody has to have all of those pieces, even though they might be different sizes or different shapes for whatever your business is. Is there a part of that that you prioritize the most across the board or is it truly just completely variable based from business to business and all of that? Generally speaking, I'd say they've all got fairly high importance, uh, fairly equal importance. There's a few things, a data, cleanliness of data is, it doesn't matter how wonderful your design is, doesn't matter how, you know, catchy your copy is, um, doesn't matter even how, um, how wonderful your personalization is. If you've got bad data, then you'll probably have deliverability problems and you probably won't be able to um, you know, get the message out or um, you might have trouble doing personalization because your data is a bit messy. So that is a really, really important um, factor for sure. But, and this is one of the challenges with email, you know, so just what you were saying was, you know, there are so many facets, so many parts, moving parts of email. And because email tends to be under-budgeted and under-resourced a lot um, by many companies, in fact, by most, what happens is that you've you've got you know a, a person who's trying to do everything and they might have come in as a designer or they might have come in as as simply a, a a programmer or a campaign manager or something like that or even a copywriter and now suddenly uh, i was reading on the forum this person was saying listen you know i love doing all of this i hate doing analytics i hate doing the reporting right so everyone has their pet peeves about it Everyone has their favorite parts about it. And often that will, because we're human, right? And that's the kind of thing that we'll do. We'll always prioritize what we like to do and deprioritize what we don't like to do. But email is one of these things that unless you're in a very big corporation, you've got your analytics team, you've got your deliverability team, you've got your separate copywriter, you've got your designer, everything like this. And then all you've got is someone who puts it all together and pushes send. Um, you generally will have to be fairly competent at most of those things. And that's why it tends to, a lot of emails that go out are fairly average, but they still give the, the good result, right? Um, that's just because we haven't learnt um, that we need, you know, everything as, as well as we could do. I don't want to say should do. Um, and that's but the one thing I have found about email marketers in general, and because as you know, I've just worked in email for so long, I can't really speak to other channels, but there is a huge desire to learn. And that, that, that is really, really wonderful. So that really helps, um, you know, you understand, maybe you came in, like I said, as a designer, that's your strength and you're fantastic at it. Then you just need to go and do some courses in doing everything else, the analytics, the you know copywriting, the testing, or everything, 
and then uh, you know you, you'll sort of get you'll get stronger at the other the other parts of it. Speaking of, of data and keeping your data clean, uh, are there any best practices or um, just some things to be thinking about in terms of how do you know when it's right to take someone off a list? Uh, you know, is it a certain amount of emails that they haven't opened, or um, how how many times do you test them out and try to get them reengaged before you say, okay, this is a this is not a good email to have on my list? Yeah, great question. So. What happened was many, many, many years ago, there was one, um, uh, one report that was done by a, an ESP, an email service provider. And it showed that um, the majority of the spam complaints that came out that, that were there um, were actually from the inactive audience. And that got everyone, this one report suddenly got, you know, turned deleting people from your database as being a best practice. Just, just, you know, it's like, that's it. Without any further investigation, without any, actually, you know best, you know your data, you know your services, you know your subscribers and everything, look into it yourself. And it just be a recommendation that, hey, this is something to check. It was, and so everyone now has this belief that best practice is to delete your data, you know, inactives after a certain period of time. Then you go and throw in the GDPR over in Europe. And again, they sort of said, uh, as an example, two years. But of course, two years isn't going to work with a car, uh, you know, um, a sales shop, right? Because everyone buys cars every three to five years. So why would you be deleting it? You know, so there's a lot of common sense that needs to be applied. And that's what I would be saying to this. Apply common sense. You know your business. You know your buying cycles. You you need to understand what is when they should be buying, when they typically should be buying, and then of course you're always going to some outliers, outliers. But that doesn't mean that they're not worthwhile keeping. They might buy once. A, I've got a friend who literally buys everything on all of his children's, um, you know, Amazon uh, wish list and everything, and his nephews and nieces and everything. Once a year, he never goes on Amazon otherwise. Can you imagine? He spends thousands and thousands and thousands. Can you imagine if Amazon says, oh, he hasn't opened an email in six months. We're going to delete him. In fact, I've actually got an anecdotal story from my friend. He, he was in the same situation. He would buy from a particular brand these computers every year. He had an agency. And every year he'd be replenishing, replacing, growing because his you know, agency's um, growing. So he's, he's adding more to, to it. And he's very loyal to this brand. And what he would do is he found out, he's very, very good with numbers, he found out that the best deals always happened in, I think it was in September. So what he would do is he would just have all the emails go to a folder, right? And then when, when it came time, around August time, he's going to go and have a look one year and, and find out the best specs, the best price and everything like that, and then place his order. One year. He found out that they'd stopped giving him emails because they said, oh, we noticed you haven't been opening our emails in a while, so we're taking you off the list. Now, he's a grown man. He owns his own business, a very successful business. He's got, you know, I think at that point he had 100 employees. Why could he not take himself off if he wasn't interested? Why is it that we as brands believe that we need to do that, right? So um, for me, 
I literally will be trying win back. So we have a lapse. We have we have a lapsing sort of program in place for most of our clients, a lapsed one, and then a win back. And those timings will vary depending on the client and the buying cycles and all the rest of it. And even then, I tell them, listen, just keep those, just keep them there. You don't have to mail them after we've done the win back and we've tried really, really hard. That's okay. We understand, you know, they're not buying. But the one thing that we do here is we base it on purchase rather than opens, rather than activities, because activity isn't necessarily a reliable metric. And when you, you know, again, I've had, when I go and do audits, I've had clients who, and, and they will say to us, oh, we did this and, you know, we followed best practice and we took a whole bunch of people off our list. And then it turns out that what happened was they actually took off recent buyers off their list because they were inactive on email, but they were still buying. So now doesn't mean that they're not buying, but a lot of them won't because a lot of them, there is again, the DMA email um, consumer tracker study every year comes out with one of well, there's a whole heap of options that consumers can take when they receive an email that they like. One of them is to click. Then there's another 13 other options for them to take, right? So if they don't click, what, what's the story there? If they don't open in order to, to click, what do we do? Do we just take them off the list? They've gone into the shop. They've gone and searched Google. They've paid actually, you know, organic search is going to get the attribution in this particular case. But the, the fact of the matter is, regardless of where attribution goes, email was the one that drove them to the site to make that purchase in the first place. I was going to say, you make a great point in the book that the um, even if it's not opened, uh, you can still kind of give that nudge with some brand awareness and um, just getting your name in front of them again. Is it kind of exactly. to your point? Exactly. It is. For me, inbox exposure is the equivalent of every day you're walking outside your, your door, um, your house, you know, to, to go to work. And there's a big billboard and it changes all the time with the messages. And that's what it is. You get this exposure. So it may not be a product that you're particularly wanting at that time, but you might remember it for later on because it's that, that nudge effect. So yeah, thanks, Jeremy. That's yeah. Well, I, th I think this kind of leads to a, a metrics, a couple of metrics questions. Um, you, you make a good distinction between process and objective metrics. Can you, can you talk about that a little bit and kind of what, uh, some general guidance for folks that might not be familiar with that uh, distinction? Well, I mean, I, I bundle them up every which way. I've just gone and done another um, uh, another presentation which bundles them up again differently. So it, it, it all depends on what suits you, what suits your business, um, how you do your reporting and all the rest of it. But essentially there are, there are things like the, the engagement metrics, right, the opens and the clicks. Um, and they're good as little benchmark ones. They're good to sort of give you, okay, well, we've got an increase, we've got a drop off, what happened in this particular campaign, we normally get this amount, that kind of thing, was it the campaign, was it the product, was it the offer, you know, it gives you food for thought. But then you've got the, the actual revenue ones, right, so, and, you, and there you've got the average order value that you can be bringing in, you've got the actual uh, revenue per email as well that you can be including, plus of course the revenue, plus the conversion rate, all of those wonderful metrics. Then you've got some subscriber metrics, which are like open reach and click reach. 
and um and, and conversion reach as well and they're um they're kind of like new metrics or oh, well, the i've been talking about them since 2013 so um but still a lot of people haven't heard about them and these are really really great to understand how the consume or how how what your reach is with your current database are you actually getting someone to open or to click or to convert you know what what kind of uh, range are you getting within a certain period but then there are the other really really fantastic um, ones we mentioned it before return on investment that's really really good um, uh, and a lot of these kind of ones which are more difficult uh, customer lifetime value they're more difficult to calculate and your, your typical uh, email dashboard won't show these to you but you will benefit from actually calculating them and benchmarking them and checking on them all the time and everything because these are the kind of ones that you want to be putting into those business cases these are the kind of ones that you can be using to to actually make business decisions on as well so just be aware i mean we we do uh, you know one of the reasons why our reportings often unless we've got a great analytics team not all of us do our reports can be very, very quick or very basic. Oh, we got this open rates, we got these click rates for this campaign. And we're just grabbing them from the dashboard, you know, of the ESP. And nothing goes beyond that. So we're very, very campaign oriented. And one of the things too, uh, I spoke about this just this, this week in a presentation. One of the things about this is we have to understand that when we're very campaign metric, um, uh, focused, right? We sometimes can again shoot ourselves in the foot because logic doesn't always prevail as to when you cut off that campaign um, recording of it, right? So if you if you think about it, so I, perfect example here. Um, I had a client. They had uh, they would send out emails every four days, so they went okay. So we'll stop recording after four days, and we'll report on those on that. So and, I, and when I delved into, I was doing an audit of their of their stuff because they came to me, and first thing I do is an audit. I went and found out that actually, do you know what? These emails are still being opened and actioned and used, and, and conversions are happening up to three months beyond that first one. Now, I'm not saying to be measuring for the three months because there is a long tail and at some point that long tail, hey, let's, you know, let's just call it a day as such, right? But in his case, or in their case, uh, they were under uh, attributing to email by 128%. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now, that worked out to be a lot of money. Now, can you imagine... Hey, I'm reporting on this now. Suddenly, you've got a different budget. You've got more budget. Your emails have now taken a, a higher priority because of that. So it really behoves you to try and and go into Google Analytics, check out your long tail, and say, okay, you know, within reason. And and often, what I advise my clients is do your initial report because they all want to know the opens of clicks. Do that, right? And maybe that's in your weekly report. And then you'll have a monthly report. You'll have an update. But then you can keep on going back and updating it. Some of these uh, great analytics tools or reporting tools will automatically do it for you, and you just go in and have a look. Um, 
but then also just a, a, a word of warning also understand the difference when you're calculating conversions as well because when you calculate conversions Google Analytics um, calculates it based on sessions so how many sessions have started and how many people have converted and that's all that what happens on the website well, we're talking email here and email particularly if it's say it's an automated process and there's five emails that are happening and then the conversion takes place what happened with this program what was that so we want to be actually con uh, calculating from delivered emails delivered um, divided by the, 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 con the conversion or the, the number of transactions and that will give you a, a more realistic um, and true conversion rate albeit it's going to be a smaller number right so and, and I think that's why everyone won it's easy to, to report on but but also it's a bigger number too yeah so. yeah it's 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 easy to the vanity metrics are always a little more fun um, but the more meaningful ones I agree take a little bit of digging yeah so you've um, you've been in the biz for a while and I know you've seen a lot of like changes throughout with you know technology and society and everything and um your book came out right around pandemic times so i'm sure that things have changed since then and then i feel like now the big question on every that everyone's talking about in marketing and everything is is chat gpt the future and do you have any thoughts on that yes uh, well i mean i don't think it's just chat gpt but yeah, I mean, there, there are so many uses for it. I've noticed that you can now get it on your phone as well, and you've got it, you know, you, you can have it on your Google Sheets. You can have it on your Google Docs. You can, you know, there, there are so many ways that you can use it. My big, uh, well, my main advice is don't look for ways of how you can use it. Look for problems it can solve, right? And that's, so that means it's a needs-based rather than a new shiny tool and how can we use it. And then that's going to give you more meaning and, and it will actually give you the, the results that you want. It's very, very exciting. You still need to do a lot of, um, you know, there's courses that you can do now, prompt courses, you know, things like this. I was speaking to one of my clients um, and they've just gone and done that. They've just gone and got a prompt trainer to come in and, and train their, their staff. And they're using it for a lot of things, for writing code, writing copy. One of their best things, though, and it saved them so much time, they're a multinational uh, retailer. And they send all of theirs out in you know, different languages. And um, they use it for translation. And they say it's just absolutely brilliant. So, you know, it again, they looked at it and they said, what, where can we see that we can streamline where can we actually improve our processes and can chat gpt or another tool like it another ai tool like it can they actually help us to do this and then that's when you're going to get you know exciting results rather than saying oh oh and and i'm not saying don't play with it you play with it understand what's out on the market understand how to use it and all the rest of it and possibly when you're doing that you can also get some ideas. But I mean, I've got, I had a call, a cold call yesterday. Um, I don't normally take cold calls, but this, this was exciting. How they can streamline my agency using AI, right? And automation and put the two together and chat GTP. 
GPT plays a big part in, in that. Uh, not the only thing, but there's lots of other, other tools that can be used. So, you know, I think it's, it's, it's exciting. And definitely, you know, within email, there's a lot of uh, email service providers who have already uh, embedded it in. And so you can actually go and pull up, I'm going to create a new email. And then they say, okay, you know, you can go and write the copy. Understand, though, again, you're the expert. You're the marketer. You're the one that knows your business. So you have to make sure that you are prompting it accurately and then that you are editing the results. Don't just say, okay, that's great. And you, you, can, you can be prompting it on tone of voice. You can be training it, all the rest of it. But just a word of warning, when you're using, um, when you're using it, right, don't actually put it, because it's really, really tempting to put in your proprietary information because your proprietary information is now going to be shared with everyone because that's how it works, right? So you can only use it for generic stuff otherwise unless you want to just give away your proprietary information because then it will just be shared and used. I, we we love it. Um, I love using it as a just a, a brainstorming partner um, a lot of the times. Um, the best advice I've heard with ChatGPT is kind of treat it as an intern, like, you know, let it do some work, but always, always check it and, and, you know, maybe improve it before it, it, it gets sent out. Um, are there, are there specific situations in email marketing that you see it being used for better than others? Oh my goodness. There's, um, okay. Well, I've just said, so you can be using it for translation, definitely for writing. Um, we've started using it, um, a, a little bit. I actually, use it in a business sense probably more than I do with email. Um, but it can write code as well. It can, um, yeah. The, I mean, they're the main things at the moment, but that's because I haven't really delved in deeply into what you can actually do with it because I tend to wait until a customer has a need then I go, oh, I wonder if we could do this, right? Um, so, so just generically, I'd say those, those are the really, really key ones. Um, let's shift directions a little bit. I'd love to hear uh, if, if you have a story um, from maybe your favorite consulting job that you've, that you've been able to be a part of so far, where you learned something either from a great success or possibly a, a failure. Okay. I'm just trying to think of them all because there's so many of them. Um, the learnings for me end up coming because generally it'll happen when I'm doing an audit or sometimes we're doing testing, you know, we'll do some testing with clients. And then I'll come across something. So, so that long tail, for example, I wasn't even aware of that until I actually delved into it. So that now, now I, I talk about that all the time. Um, and a lot of the learnings that I have learned with my clients, that's what I teach on, that's what I write on, that's what I speak on. So I then put them out to the public. Um, what's another case study or another example like that one? Um, so many of them. I'm just trying, sorry, I'm You're just fine. trying to think of one. Yeah, so there's one that we did. We did this AB split test for this client. And what it was about was, it was about, uh, it was for a browse abandonment program. Now, we're very used to that 
overt messaging. Oh, wait, you left this in your basket, or you know, you we noticed that you were looking at this, or did you, you know, really want to leave that behind? Things like this. So I'm talking about browse rather than card abandonment. That's even more specific and more overt. But so the browse and and lots of tests have been done in the past, including like I know Amazon have done gazillions on them about trying to get browser abandonment done. In fact, Amazon, they even were, because they, they were the pioneers really of testing within email. And what they did was they found out that there was a balance that was needed when we're talking about browser abandonment, because there is that big brother type thing, wait on, it's a bit spooky, it's a bit scary, right? Or, um, uh, so what they did was they actually, the emails were so personalized to the visit that they just said, dear customer, they took the person's name out because it, it was an overload mm. of, of too much information. Like the, my name plus all the stuff I'd been browsing was too much personalization, right? So you, there's always that fine line. So I came up with the hypothesis that maybe a covert messaging of the browser banner, more of a serendipitous event, might be a better approach for this particular brand, right? So we did overt, stating that, you know, we know that they were looking at this product, but they haven't actioned it yet, versus a, a an email that went out to them, which has that same product that they were looking at, but didn't buy, but no mention of them visiting, right? So overt versus covert. And I'm thinking the covert's going to win. I'm thinking also it's going to, you know, nah, overt one big time. Interesting. Right? That's not to say it's going to win with yeah. everyone, but this particular audience, it was this particular audience. And really, you know, it, when I saw that, I went, oh, well, that makes sense, actually, considering the audience. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's... I love those things and and in that basis i didn't consider i'd failed at all because we found a great insight yeah. you know so then what they did was they took that learning and they put it into all of their others so their banner ads their their off you know their offline ads everything like this and they were more overt in their messaging because they went okay these guys actually just want you know to call it to call it as it is. Interesting. Yeah, my I think sometimes as marketers we do tend to lean towards the more clever solution and think, oh, this is going to be, this is going to work. And so it it's uh, sobering, but also uh, humbling when we realize, okay, maybe maybe what we thought wasn't best when we look at the data. Yeah. Um, but yeah. but it, I, I I like the idea of you know the audiences could be different. There may be an audience that does appeal to the. Um, the yes. covert um yes. yeah fascinating well you've you've dealt with with companies that are huge you've dealt with companies that are you know more of the local uh mom and pop type of of setups how have you seen them tackle the same problem or the same sort of problem in completely different ways well yeah because now it comes down to um um resources mm -hmm. um and expertise um so you know um and their their products and buying cycles everything is is different again so i i can't think of any client who does everything the same right um 
and I think that's one of the exciting things. One, you've got so many vendors to choose from for an email service provider. Two, you've got so many different ways that you can be reporting. You know, you've got, you've now got, um, and, and this was one of the things that was very common was everyone was, or the email marketers who were writing the copy and the copy kind of, you know, was fairly average because they weren't copywriters. But now, um, with the event of chat, you know, GPT, maybe it'll be perfect bit better but I'm seeing more dedicated copywriters as well um, but I think it's just a case of uh, in fact I'm, I'm actually going into to, to help a client at the moment they want to improve their processes right the, the actual email development processes from from go to work right and so I'm coming on in and I know that they've got a unique setup so, you know, I, I can bring in a little bit from what I've learned with other clients, um, but a lot of this is going to be incredibly bespoke to them just because of their unique setup. Now, I could actually say that about most of my clients, to be honest. Unless you're, a, you know, a, 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 a very single um, person coaching, you know, um, and sending out emails, coaching business and sending out emails, when there might be a lot of similarities. But it really depends on, you know, the tech, your processes, you, how you like to work. I know that I personally, um, being the CEO of, of my consultancy, I work completely different to all my friends who are also own consultancies, completely. So our business is different, our ethos is different, everything is different. So I guess that's one of the things when it comes to consulting that's still exciting for me. There is no cookie cutter formula, oh, this is what you do, this is how you do it, you know, and, and this is always going to work. No, that's not true. It doesn't happen. And and that's one of the reasons why I have, sorry, I'm going to go off topic go here for a little it. bit, because I have problems with, you know, so-called best practices, which are very, very generic. Now, to me, a best practice is something that is applicable for all brands, big, small, whatever, all brands. There are very, very few best practices, right? Getting authenticated is definitely a best practice, right? So, you know, permission, I believe that to be a best practice as well. But there's very, very few best practices because each company, their employees, their everything is so, so different. So I don't like to give tag, even though I said I am writing a best practice guide. <laughs> that wasn't my naming, right? So I'm just... <laughs> Just being paid to do it. Um, so yeah, so I, I have trouble with with with, the, with that kind of label because I think it's very misguiding. You know, it kind of puts people in a very comfortable position, going, "Well, I'm following this and it's best practice," but it could actually be losing your money, and and that is the reality of it. So, sorry, a little bit off topic. There. No, it's fine. Yeah. So um, when doing like prepping for this episode, you know, if you Google your name, lots of articles come up, YouTube videos, blogs, all of the things. And one of them stood out to me from a couple years ago where you talked about um, being a woman in this industry and how the industry itself is, you know, varied a little bit by background, but you mostly see men doing the talking points and being the faces and the figures of marketing and email marketing, um, which, you know, is unfortunately the case in a lot of industries, but 
definitely when tech is involved. Um, so how has that kind of impacted your, your trajectory, your path? What have you done to stand out to make sure you aren't just looked over because of who you are? Um, well, that's a really interesting question. So that would have been a while ago because I believe email has changed. It has come up. It's, there's a lot more women speakers, women writers, women voices within it within the industry itself but yes when i first started out there was me and two other women and we were all um business owners we small business owners and it was just through our dedication and our expertise and our experience that we won the speaking spots right and then that got our names going and everything but we did have a difficult time um because yeah we, we would be like i would literally there would be all males on the stage for the whole day and i'm the only female literally you know it panels all males all the rest of it i never found it to be a huge huge burden or anything um and and i'm really glad to say that you know i've earned my way on the stage rather than bought my way on the stage you know i didn't i didn't have money to do that so you know i only did that because of that and i think because that that made me more credible and then these so what we're kind of known in the industry for being called you know what they call us trailblazers we have actually blazed that trail now for the other women to come in they're finding it a lot easier um, then a few years ago, something called Women in a, in Email actually got spurred off from a panel that I did with another three women. The first ever all-female panel in the history of email. And, you know, this sort of got people thinking, why, why is that? Why, 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 why do we not see more women? And uh, then they created this group called Women, women of Email. And... Um, to the most part, it's a very, very positive thing. It gives women a very, very safe haven to, to voice thoughts and everything and to sort of get rid of that imposter syndrome and just check in, is everything okay? Am I doing everything right? Or am I going crazy? What's the story? Um, and so I think because of that, and it's also opened up a lot of desire within the women now to go, wait on, I'm seeing some women out there. If they can do it, I can do it, right? So it's it's a really, really nice effect happening there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't sort of go, oh, my goodness, I've got a huge challenge. I've got to do this. I didn't, to be honest, I didn't really even think about it. It was only afterwards I'm sort of going, oh, I'm the only female here, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> you're all there drinking at the bar and, and I'm the only female. And um, But, you know, I, I've never suffered from um, imposter syndrome <laughs> or lack of confidence. So I'm just like, yeah, I can do it. That, that's a guy, I can do it, not a problem. And um, But then I also go with the more humanistic, sort of more um, strategic side of things where often they're, they're a lot more technical as well. But funny enough, you know, I originated a technical platform for email, so I've got the technical ability to sort of prefer the humanistic, strategic side of things. Yeah, you definitely touch on both sides of it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Kath, I've got um, one more question for you. It's a hard question. Um, 
and and hopefully hopefully you don't make any enemies by by answering it. If you were stuck on a deserted island and you had one email marketing platform that you could use, which which would you pick? Which would you have with you? That no, seriously, we're known for being agnostic. <laughs> Do I really have to add? That's one of our key our key USPs. We are agnostic. We work with any of the vendors. We don't, but there are some amazing platforms out there. There truly are, and and I absolutely love them. And there are other ones that are not so good. Um, uh, I'm also though, just by the way. If I can say it, okay, let's say it this way. Let's put it this way without actually giving a, a, an actual brand name. Let's say I'm a fan of best of breeds, right? As opposed to a big enterprise solution. There's a lot of big enterprise solutions. Those ones tend to have been made up from acquisitions of other platforms, putting things together, piecing it together, making it all look and feel similar or as well as they can and everything. And so when you as a user... You want to do this, you want to do that. You've got everything within the system and all in one system, right? Whereas I'm a big fan of the, let's say, the more mid-sized ESPs, the, the ones who are not going to look down their nose at you, you know, when, <laughs> when uh, your, your list isn't like billions. And, um, and, and, and then you go and pick then the other wonderful tools that you have to choose from within the email tech and you know sort of system or ecosystem and you plug them in and then you have the best of both. I I so, I like that approach. I'm I'm picking up what you're laying down. Yeah. I understand what you're saying. Um so <laughs> essentially find find the email tool that is great at email and and fit it into your 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 other ecosystem. Don't pick the Frankenstein's yes. Uh, you know, all tools, you know, the Swiss army knife of, of marketing. Cause yeah. what we found is, is typically um, the Swiss army knife is going to break at some point because it's not meant to saw through a log. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's got a toothpick on it for crying out loud. Um, so, well, Kath, thank you so much for, for taking the time to, to do this with us. Um, and we're excited to get this out to our audience. And best of luck uh, with your consultancy, and and we look forward to maybe reading another book down the road. How can Wonderful. how can um, if if anybody wants to um, uh, follow you, um, where where are you at on all the things? I know you have some you have some publications. You even have your own uh, podcast, I believe, uh, that they can listen to. Um, how can they how can they find you online? Yes, we'll just head over to holisticemailmarketing.com and you could do a search for email and more. And so that's our, our like monthly webinar that we have. We get all these great brand um, uh, marketers coming on. And, and in fact, we're talking about your tech stack next week. I know the week after on the 11th. So, so you know, uh, go and check that out. We've got great blogs loads and loads of articles as Jess was saying that I write I'm quite prolific with my writing um, the second edition of um, Holistic Email Marketing is due to come out probably um, Q2 next year Fantastic. so stay tuned for that uh, it's, cool. it's just been released on Audible as well um, and then you can find me on Twitter and LinkedIn and everything Cafe. so 
it's a fairly unique name, so I'm, I'm pretty easy to find. Awesome. Thanks, Kath. Okay. Thank you so much for having me. Marketing Trailblazers with Jeremy LaDuke and Jess Tackett is produced by me, Lance Pettiford, co-produced by Kaylee Eastep, graphic and web design by Will Lunsford, and guest support provided by Kaylee Swaggerty. Marketing Trailblazers is a production of Epic Nine Marketing Outfitters, helping ambitious brands grow since 2014. If you are a CMO looking to conquer some mountains, or you need a CMO to help get you to the top, then contact Epic Nine and get started with a Basecamp consultation at epic9.com. Want more great content to help fuel your marketing adventures? Sign up for exclusive content and get early access to our Marketing Mountain School content at marketingtrailblazers.com.